Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. Let's speaking of that, so I'm gonna teach something totally new that the Lord laid on my heart for today. Is that okay? So last week in, in passing, like I was in a different message on your identity, but I kind of mentioned this thing about the food shortages in America, and I said, it's possible, I didn't say it was happening, I said it's possible that this thing gets worse before it gets better, and it might not be a bad idea to go to Sam's Club or Costco and stock up on rice and beans. Not for a year, maybe for a week, just in case, you know, we're ever in a pickle, you don't freak out. I, now if you're new to the church, I am not a doom and gloom end time times, you know, preacher, like I'm not a fear preacher. I always see hope and life and joy and happiness in, in the kingdom of God because wherever the presence of God is, there is, there is joy. And, and God's not going to take his presence from us. So even in the midst of whatever happens in the last days on earth, the Holy Spirit is going to be with us. So we're always going to have hope and joy. So I'm not going to freak out. Now, and, and I'm not even sure that $5 a gallon gas is a sign of the end times or not. So I'm not even saying we have to push the panic button and freak out. I am saying that if it hits $7, we should be looking for the four apocalyptic horsemen to be riding in. It's probably why they're going to be riding in on a horse, because they can't afford to drive. That's a pretty good joke. Uh, California people are sure this is the end times, because they're paying $7 a gallon. So that's just crazy, crazy talk. So good. Um, we also have a lot of people at Uncommon that are new to Jesus they're new to the Bible, and they might not know what to expect. So in case you don't know that one of these days all this is going to wrap up on earth and Jesus is going to come back, um, I want to help teach you a little bit about that. In my message about the Jewish people that I taught from Israel a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that over on the Mount of Olives, which was just to my left, um, one day, soon, maybe, Jesus is going to return from heaven and set foot on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to establish a 1,000-year reign from Jerusalem. And I think if you're new to Jesus stuff, you were like, say what? Like, that might be like a surprise to people. And if that was news to you, that, that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives, that he's going to reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. If any of that was new information for you, your homework assignment is to read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Like just, and you could do it, you know, over a year or this week, whatever's good for you, but you have to read your Bible. I do not want you to be Bible illiterate like most Christians. So that means you're going to need to start a Bible reading plan today. In about 15 minutes a day, you could read the Bible in a year, easily. 15 minutes a day, some parts are going to be super boring. I get it. Some parts are going to change your life forever, but all of it is, is the inspired Word of God. So you have to be Bible literate. Read your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Let's get into what Jesus said in Matthew. It's at the end of Jesus' ministry, and he's talking about the end times, whenever the end times are. I'm not saying it is now. I'm just saying it's possible. So I want to prepare you in case we're getting ready to get ready. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was leaving the temple grounds. His disciples pointed out the various temple buildings. Now, let me stop right there. The temple was this massive stone structure built before electricity and stone, you know, electric saws and laser saws were created. Like the fact that they built the temple, the fact that they built the pyramids, the fact that the ancient people built anything before DeWalt was invented blows my mind. So the disciples were just like, hey, JC, what do you think about these buildings? And here's Jesus' response in verse two. Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. 
They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And by the way, that happened in 70 AD. This stone structure that looked like it could never be torn down was taken down stone by stone by the Romans. Verse 3. Later, Jesus was up on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, um, hey boss, when is this going to happen? Like, is there going to be a sign? Is there going to be a bat signal that we know that it's your return is coming and that the end of the world has come? Jesus said, fellas, don't let anybody mislead you. Many people are going to come in my name and they're going to say, I'm the Messiah. And they're going to deceive many people. You're going to hear about wars and threats of war, but do not panic. These things must take place, but the end actually won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation. Kingdom will war against kingdom. Listen to this. There will be famines and earthquakes in many different parts of the world. All of this is only the birth pains. It's the Braxton Hicks contractions. There's more to come. And then he gives a warning to the Jesus followers. So if you are a Jesus follower, get excited for verse 9. You will be arrested. You will be persecuted. You will be killed. You're going to be hated all over the world because you're Jesus followers. Come on, somebody. Is that exciting or what? Many people are going to turn away. People are going to betray each other. They're going to hate each other. There's going to be false prophets that appear, and they're going to deceive people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But uncommon church that endures to the end will be saved. The good news about the kingdom of God is going to be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations hear it, and then the end will come. Isn't it exciting that from the, the, the very words of Jesus, he says Christians are going to be arrested, persecuted, and hated fun. I can't like, right? If you think about it, we're already there. If you believe that the Bible is true, if you believe that God is real, if you believe that Jesus came and lived and died 2,000 years ago and took our sin to the cross and, and defeated sickness, death, hell, and the grave, was raised from the dead and ascended back into heaven, if you believe that there is an absolute moral truth and that sin is real and it separates us from the love of God, if you believe that there are two genders, you are a radical extremist because you believe ancient Judeo-Christian values. Is that not the most bananas thing in the world? And most of the world considers it hate speech simply to believe that God is real and the Bible is true. When I was, I'm 47 years old, I am stunned at how much our world has changed in the last five or six years. Completely stunned. So if that much has changed in the last five years, Get ready, get ready, get ready. Because that means that there's famines and earthquakes and wars. Like, let's go. I mean, like, get this thing going. Is this the end times? I have no idea. Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. But I remind you that Jesus warned us that many people are going to turn away. Many people are going to cash in their chips and walk away from Jesus. That will not happen at Uncommon Church. We are going to stay faithful to the end, no matter what. But that's not going to happen by accident. You have to be well-educated on what is going to happen. And just in case, $5 gallon gas, COVID, 
food shortages, war in the Ukraine, and whatever crazy Armageddon thing is going to happen tomorrow is the sign of the end times, I want to teach you on how people of faith respond. One thing that Jesus mentioned was that there would be famine. Now, famine in the ancient world, what does that translate to in 2022? Food shortages. And in the ancient world in particular, there was nothing worse than a food shortage, than a famine. Because if there was no rain, you couldn't grow crops and you were going to die. Like today, if we have a famine in one part of the world, we can ship food from another part of the world that can grow food. But in the ancient world, if you didn't have rain, if you couldn't grow a crop, a famine could pop up overnight and it would take years to heal the land and get crops growing again. People would die. Like famine was an extreme, serious, panic button, end of the world thing to freak out about. And I wanna to read to you three different famines in the Bible and how people of faith responded in a famine. Because that's how I want us to respond. We are a people of faith, we will not give in to fear. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are uncommon. We are meant to look and think and believe differently than the rest of the world. Now that does not mean that we are against anybody. We're simply for God and for his ways. So how should people of faith respond in crisis? How should people of faith respond in the end times? I'll read you three famines in the Bible. I remind you this is worst case scenario for ancient people and the way that they responded by faith. The first one goes all the way back to Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's son. This is the child of promise that was taken up for the mountain and then was not sacrificed because God gave a ram in the thicket. And in Genesis chapter 26, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. I'm sure that's the one you guys were thinking about when I read that. But it was a different famine in the, in the time of Isaac. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Isaac, do not go down to Egypt. Don't dwell in that land, dwell in the land that I'm gonna give you. Sojourn in this land, in famine town, and I will be with you and I will bless you because you and your offspring, I'm gonna give these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. So there's a famine in the whole land, but don't try to go to Egypt and outrun it. Like just stay here. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Isaac, I want you to be uncommon. I want you to do things differently than the rest of the world. And if you stay in famine town, I'm gonna bless you if you trust me and obey me. So even though there's a famine everywhere else, God wants to bless his people because God's not afraid of the famine. Now skip down to verse 12. Look at Isaac's response. Isaac sowed into that land and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold harvest. The Lord supernaturally blessed him. Listen to verse 13, and I love that God included this. He became rich and then he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. That's a lot of prosperity at a time of a famine. Not only did he have a hundredfold blessing in one year, then he became rich, then he got even more, and then he became very wealthy. I love God because God's not afraid of famine. God's not afraid when everybody else is afraid. God's, and when the whole world is in turmoil, God's like, if you trust me and obey me, I'm gonna bless you, you're gonna be okay. Don't be afraid of the end times because God's not afraid of the end times. Don't be afraid of the economy crashing because God's not afraid of the economy crashing. God is always gonna look for ways to bless his children because he's a loving father. Now we have to look at this scripture at the two triggers that, that, that Isaac did to trigger God's blessing. First, 
I already mentioned it, God obeyed, uh, Isaac obeyed God. Instead of running down to Egypt like everybody else was doing, he settled in famine town. He didn't go looking for greener grass in another church, I mean in another city. He stayed right there and he, he, he put roots down and created much fruit. Our ability, this is important, you might wanna write this down. You should be writing all this down, this is amazing. Our, what if our YouTube channel is taken down because it's hate speech? Your notes are gonna be what you need to hold you through difficult times. And if, what, if, what if the Bible app gets taken off of your phone? Paper Bible wouldn't hurt like our forefathers used to have. The old people clap. Young people are like, what's a paper Bible? Wait, they print that on paper? It's on my phone. Our ability to hear God's voice and then obey what he's asking us to do is a key to unlocking God's favor in difficult times. And if you don't know how to pray and hear the voice of God, you will struggle in the end times. You need to, while things are good, learn how to pray and hear and wait on God and have him speak to your heart so that you know how to hear the voice of God and you know how to be obedient to what he's asking you to do. The second thing that Isaac did that triggered God's favor, we find in verse 12, I'll read it again. Isaac sowed in the land and then he reaped a hundred year harvest in one year. Isaac made a business decision and he made it by faith. And even during a famine, and let me explain this in the ancient world. In a famine in the ancient world, there was no rain. So if you had any seed, it would be stupid to put it in the ground because the seed is gonna go into the ground and die and then you're gonna starve to death. If you have seed, grind it into flour and eat bread. Don't take your seed and plant it in the ground because the, the seed is gonna die because there's no rain. But Isaac trusted God, he heard from God, he obeyed God, and then he intentionally and, and by faith invested a business decision in his future, and then God blessed him with a hundredfold harvest in the same year. That's a complete supernatural miracle. Isaac sowed into his future. See, this would be foolish in the eyes of the world. If other people see you investing in the future during the time of famine, the, the world is gonna say you're an idiot because you're taking the thing that is most valuable, your seed, and you're putting it into the ground, which would, you would think it's gonna die in the ground, but when you put it into the hand of God, that's where it opens up his ability to bless you. Which this verse never made sense to me until I was reading all of this out. Psalm 126 and verse five. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. So it might hurt you to put your seed into the ground and you might be hungry for a couple of months while that seed is growing into a harvest, but you will shout with joy when you receive a harvest on what you trusted God with in your future. So Isaac and his servants, they made a financial business decision. We're not gonna eat this seed. Instead, we're gonna take a step of faith and believe that God is gonna bless us in the future. So I don't know what's gonna happen over the next few years, but my advice to you is take a tip from Isaac and invest in your future. Don't panic, don't eat your seed. Trust that God is gonna provide for your future. Take a step of faith, don't give in to fear. So put your seed into the hand of God that he can bless you. 
if, once you get it out of your hand, it gets into the hand of God, and that's where the blessing and multiplication comes. That's why Jesus said, the people are hungry. Bring me some bread and fish. The little boy gave it to Jesus. When it transferred from human hands to the hands of God, that's where it was able to be multiplied and then given back to the people. So by faith, you need to invest in your future. And I'm literally talking about investing financially in your future. Well, I don't know if there's going to be a future world. Well, let's hope by faith there will be. And when you get there, I want you to have money. So why don't you start a 401k now? Why don't you invest in your retirement funds now? If you need to, I don't care what you believe in, buy gold, buy fake money on, you know, that has to be mined in a computer in, in Norway. Whatever you have to do, invest financially in your future. But not just financially. We're all going to live to be, you know, 80, 90, 100 years old. Invest in your future health. If you're overweight, lose weight. If your blood pressure's high, get it lower. If your sodium's high, get it down. If you're weak and flabby like, like I was, start going to the gym and getting strong and doing some exercises. Invest in, you're like, you look kind of chubby. I didn't say skinny, I said strong. <laughs> Invest in your health. Invest in your future self. If you haven't been to the doctor in a minute, schedule a checkup and get some blood work drawn. Have them take a look at your numbers and see what's going on on the inside. Let a doctor look under your hood. Why? Because you're investing in your future. Invest in your mind. When was the last time you read a book? I mean a, a real book, a book that you learned something, a book that challenged you. When was the last time you took a college course for no reason except that you were interested in something? Even if you just audit the course, just to read the book and listen to the lectures, just to get smarter. Like, you don't have to just let your brain rot an auto mode on Netflix. It's, you're, it's okay to learn something new and challenge yourself. Learn a new language and then take a trip. Why? You're investing in your future brain. Invest in your future family. Invest in your kids, invest in your loved ones. Invest, if you've got family members that you haven't spoken to in years, it might be time to forgive people and make a phone call. Take a road trip to somebody's house and love on them. Invest in your future family. <laughs> Parents, your, child, your children are literally your future. Invest in the legacy of your kids. You're, you're not just, you didn't just have kids to let the school raise them. You are the pastor of your home and you are the youth pastor and the kids pastor of your home. So you are responsible to raise your kids in the fear of the Lord. You're investing in your future. Let me wrap this little section up. The, the, the world would call you an idiot for planting seed during a famine. And when they yell at you and they text about you and they say things about you on, on Facegram, you just smile and bless them. You don't have to get defensive. You don't have to call them an idiot. You don't have to defend yourself. Just smile and bless them because the world doesn't have faith in God, so they're not gonna understand what faith looks like when it's executed on the earth. Think about ne Nehemiah was, was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and Sanballat came and he began to mock and, and destroy. He was just roasting Nehemiah for trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Them. Nehemiah didn't like stop and be like, oh man, Sanballat criticized me. I'm so sad because I care what Sanballat thinks. No, Nehemiah had a word from God and he was investing in his future. He didn't care what critics were saying. Speaking of Nehemiah, that's actually our second famine. I have read Nehemiah several times. I've studied it. I've preached on it. I totally forgot that Nehemiah did all that during a famine. Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in a famine in the land of Israel. 
the Jewish people returned to Israel to reclaim their ancient land, reclaim their ancient homes, and protect the, the city of Jerusalem by rebuilding the walls. But the, there was a famine going on, so people were starving to death. So they began to sell and mortgage their ancient grand, great-grandparents' home and land. This was what God gave to the people of Israel, was the land of Israel, but they couldn't afford to own it, so they had to sell it. And here's the problem. They were selling it to other Jews that were then charging an extremely high interest and taxes on the, their other Jewish brothers. So Nehemiah chapter 5, the word gets to Nehemiah in, in chapter 5, and he's totally upset. There were those who said, with our sons and daughters, they were many, let us get grain that we might eat and keep alive. There were also those that said, dude, we've been mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses just so we can get some grain because of this famine. There were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. So now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, meaning other Jewish people own me. My children are like their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. In fact, some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to do anything about it, for other men have our fields and vineyards. So verse eight is when Nehemiah responds. He says, I was very angry when I heard the outcry of the people and I heard their words. I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the other nobles and officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest from your brothers. Now let's just stop there and talk about this because he goes on and I'm just gonna summarize it. Nehemiah called all the people together and then he heard the cry of the people and then he rebuked those that were charging high interest on other Jewish people. He said, you're causing them to starve. They're selling their own children into slavery just so that they can, these are not strangers. These are your brothers in the flesh, other Jewish people, and you're, you're stealing their land from them and charging interest. So he rebukes them, and here's what Nehemiah does. He calls them back to family. He calls them back to community. He said, we're all Jews trying to rebuild this land. We've got to look out for each other and protect each other. What's the point? In a time of famine, when things are difficult in society, family comes first. We look out for each other. We don't do what's best for me. We do what's best for we. And in the end times, I don't know what's going to come, but the family of God needs to circle the wagons and protect one another. That was a good place to clap. Look at Acts chapter three, four, and five. The church is exploding. God is pouring out his Holy Spirit. Signs, wonders, miracles, healings. Thousands of people are putting their faith in Jesus. The church is, is growing super quickly. And the people realize we have a lot of widows. We have a lot of orphans. We have a lot of poor people. So those that had money, those that had influence, they began to sell land and sell houses, donate the money to the church so that everybody in the family of believers would have all of their needs met and that nobody would go hungry. I don't know what crazy thing is gonna happen in the world next, but I know that if we stick together, we'll get through it no matter what. We'll get through it as a family and as a church family. I've never been more proud of Uncommon Church than last year during Snowmageddon in the Valentine's Day ice storm. When, if you're not from around here, we lost power, we lost water, homes had, were destroyed in our church because pipes burst in the freeze. 
But the way that you guys loved each other and responded and opened up your doors and, and had people sleeping on your couch and, 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 and helping to clean out people's homes and, and donating water to each other made, it made me so proud of you. And I thought, you know, if the end times come, no matter what happens when the, when the end time poo hits the end time fan, Uncommon Church is going to be fine because of the way we love each other. But this is why it's so important to be a part of the church family and not just watching it online, not just watching from the distance. This is why it's so important that you don't just attend this church, you plug into this church. People need to know your name. Like, yeah, we want you to check in on the app and say, hey, I was here so our pastors know if you're here or not. But if you skip a Sunday, I want the person sitting next to you to go, hey, where's Rick? Where's Mary? Where's Susan? And they're gonna be texting you in the middle of worship, like, hey, I'm in church, where are you? I'm like, oh, well, I'm over at grandma's house for a summer vacation. Okay, cool, I love you, see you next week. That's what church family does. If nobody knows your name in this church, you're not a part of this church, you're just observing this church. Today is growth track one. I want you to stay for one hour after this church with Josie and I, and we're gonna get you plugged into this church family in growth track one. It's right across that hallway. Follow the signs for growth track. Today is your day to stop watching and get plugged into this church family. The second thing you can do is to join a group you groups are, are, are uncommon groups that meet during the week, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So these are groups where men's groups and women's groups and marriage groups and cycling groups, these cards are around and there's a QR code. I want you to go to the website and pick a group and plug into a summer you group. I want people to learn your name. I want people to serve on a dream team with you, on the worship team, on the usher team, on the tech team, on the welcome team, on the kids team, on the prayer team. These are other men and women that you build relationships with in the church. So if you're power goes out, if your home is flooded, you, you put a text out to your, your dream team and be like, hey, does anybody got a couch I can sleep on? My, my house flooded. And like everybody's like, what can we do to help? You will not be alone because the way that we love God is, is seen and is measured by the way we love one another. Here's a, here's a crazy take from Nehemiah chapter five about this famine. Nehemiah calls a come to Jesus meeting He's like, listen, stop charging interest on each other and hurting each other. Remember, we're all Jews. We're all in this together. When we got to stick together to get through this famine. That was in chapter five. Eight more chapters of the book of Nehemiah, the famine is never mentioned again. The way that the, that the people of Israel responded to caring for one another silenced the threat of the famine in the land. So I'm, I'm not saying the things in this world aren't gonna get tough. I'm just saying if we stick together, we will have uncommon peace, uncommon joy, uncommon hope because we care for each other in an uncommon way. All right, here's the third, the third famine story we find in the New Testament. This is another, I didn't even remember reading this. I've probably read the book of Acts 20 times in my life, you know, on and off over the years. I'm pretty familiar with the book of Acts. I totally forgot this story from Acts chapter 11. In these days, the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was a prophet named Agabus, and he stood up and he foretold from the Holy Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And Luke records, by the way, this happened during Claudius' time, his reign. Verse 28. So when the disciples heard about this impending famine, everyone, according to their ability, sent relief to the brothers living in Judea. So the famine's coming to the whole world, and instead of giving into fear, and instead of hoarding everything for themselves, they took up a love offering, and it's like, we want to send money back to the Jews living in Israel. Their first thought wasn't themselves. Their first thought was, I wonder how the Jews are doing back in Israel. We better send some money to be a blessing. 
Because remember, it was the Jewish people that sent the gospel to the nations, so they were grateful that the gospel had come to them. So the first famine was about Isaac making a business decision and planting seed for his future. That's not necessarily about giving a seed of generosity. He was investing in his own future. The second story was about Nehemiah calling the people of Israel to community, to family, to relationship, to protecting each other. But this is different. Famine's coming, let's be generous. And even in this one portion from Acts chapter 11, there's three things that we can learn. The first is this, it's likely that the famine had already hit the land of Israel. So the way that the church responded was compassion. It's this noble, hey, if they're already hungry and we're not yet, let's send some money their way to bless them. So in tough times, we, we should be compassionate to others that are going through a difficult season. But here's the second takeaway. God told Abraham that when he was creating the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his 12 sons, creating the nation of Israel, whoever blesses the nation of Israel, God said, I will bless. Whoever curses the nation of Israel, God said, I will curse. Fast forward to the New Testament. The apostle Paul said that there is a blessing for the Gentile church if they will bless the Jewish believers living in Israel. So their response was, if you're going through a famine and we want God to bless us, Let's bless God's people in any way that we can. Years ago, and I went, it was before we bought this building. By the way, next weekend is the five-year anniversary of our church here in this building. Wouldn't it, 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 it woo-woo. It, it won't be done in a week, but wouldn't it be nice if it was done in a week and next week we, we rededicate and blah, 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 but that's impossible. Um, before we moved into that building, our church was down to its last $500. Um, I think Danielle Carrico was the uh, uh, administrator at that time, and she came to Josie and I with that look on her face like, we, 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 the budget still needs this much money to get to the end of the month. We have $500. So we prayed. I, I remember it clearly. It was in our office there at the Timberline building in Grapevine. And I said, how much is left? She said, about $500. I said, let's give it all away. And let's give it to the nation of Israel. And we gave it to a ministry in Israel. We went online and gave a donation. So then we're down to zero dollars. And the church still needs thousands of dollars to get to the end of the month. Over the next two weeks, the offering, the way that you guys were generous. And if I recall, we didn't even tell you. The budget was completely met by the end of the month. You bless Israel, God's gonna bless you. Here's a third takeaway. And it ties into a similar thought. The church in Antioch was so grateful to the Jewish people for leaving Israel and bringing the gospel message about Jesus to the Gentile world. So they wanted to give a gift to honor the Jewish leaders that kicked off their faith. Sometimes when you're in a pinch, the best thing you can do is to give a gift of honor to somebody that you honor in your life. Because honor is a benchmark of the kingdom of God. So when you're in a time of famine, when the, when the famine is facing the whole world, in Nehemiah's day, and then we never heard it about it again, the same thing happened in Acts chapter 11. Agabus says a famine's coming to the whole world. The church in Antioch gives this generous gift either out of compassion or out of blessing the nation of Israel or out of honor to the nation of Israel, and you never hear about the famine for the whole rest of the book of Acts. A gift of compassion, a gift to bless Israel, and a gift in honor will stop a famine from coming to your house. 
So being generous financially is a demonstration to God. I am a person of faith, and I trust you, Lord, that you will provide, and I am not the person that provides for all of my needs. We will not bow our knee to financial fear no matter what happens. We will be generous. We will take a step of faith, and we will be a blessing to others. Now, let me also say this. It's not always a financial gift. You are a hope dealer in a world that is hopeless. So when the world is freaking out, we have uncommon peace. We have uncommon joy. We have uncommon hope when the world is hopeless. When gas hits $10 a gallon, we're like, woohoo, I'm so excited because Jesus is king of my heart. We will not give in to fear and we will not, even if you do save up some money and there are massive food shortages and you have gone a month of, of, of very carefully managing rice and beans and tuna fish, your hope is still in Jesus. You're never gonna, so every room you walk into is hopeless. You are a hope bringer. And you're like, you, you walk into the most difficult times in whatever the world throws at us and there's a smile on your face and you, you are a dealer of hope and joy into whatever room you walk into. And I'll say this, when others complain, we will not complain. We will not complain at Kroger. We will not complain at the gas pump. We will not complain on social media. We're always gonna smile and point to Jesus and say, God is good. My hope is in him. My peace is in him. So just to recap the three responses we're gonna invest in our personal futures. We're gonna sow seeds of faith and believe God for a hundredfold harvest for our future. We're gonna invest in relationships, in our personal family relationships and in our church relationships. In the end times, whatever happens, we're gonna need one another. When there's a flock of sheep, the sheep on the outside get eaten first. So just bury yourself in the flock of sheep. Let somebody else get eaten. You had your chance to get plugged into the church. Not my problem. I'm in the middle of the flock. I got other people protecting me. You chose to just watch online and come once a month. That's, that's your bad. Man, he is fired up today, isn't he? Somebody, somebody's like, Pastor, do you ever feel bad for talking like that? No. Because if the, if the end times poo hits the end times fan, there's gonna be a lot of Christians that are freaking out. You, our uncommon church, you're gonna be just fine. Because somebody talked real to you. I know, but you sometimes hurt my feelings and step on my toes. I know, but every time I do, your toes get stronger to stand. The third thing we learn is to be generous to others. We would be generous to Israel, and we, we'd be generous to those that we honor. Hop up on your feet. As a child of God, you have a loving father. You're not an orphan. You're never alone. My kids are spread all over the world, but I always know where my kids are, thanks to the Apple Find Me thing. And don't you dare think that even when I'm in Israel or when I'm in India or when I'm in Iraqistan, that I don't pull out that app and I check where my kids are every day. You're never alone. Your father knows where you are and he doesn't need an app to show your position. My daughter-in-law has not accepted my request to know where her location is yet. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. You have a loving father that's gonna protect and he's gonna provide for you. But we have to keep our focus on him. We can't put our focus on the economy. We can't put our focus on the problems in this world. We focus on the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter seven, here's a famous verse that applies to the church. If my people, you are God's people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, they'll pray and seek my face, they'll turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. God is not talking about 
unbelievers in the world. He said, if the people of God would humble themselves before me, if the people of God would fix their attention on me, if the people of God would repent of their sin, if the people of God would learn to pray and seek God's face, I'll heal Eulis. I'll heal Bedford, I'll heal Hearst and Colleyville and Grapevine and some of y'all be driving from like Keller and North Fort Worth and Justin. I'll heal your land. We can be a blessing to DFW on how well we handle a crisis. We can point people to Jesus because we respond with faith and do not give in to fear. Other people are gonna put their faith in Jesus because of how well you handle crisis. So this stuff matters for you, for your peace, for your family, and for your neighbors. Your neighbors might go to heaven because of how well you handle whatever crazy bananas thing happens tomorrow. If you're here this morning and you're watching online, online people tuned off like 20 minutes ago. They're like, you were mean to us three times. We're not watching to the end of this service. I love you online people. It's time to come back to church, COVID's over. You were so quiet to amen when I said COVID's over because you thought you'd get sued by the COVID police. Go to the Tarrant County Health Department website. I, I, just look at the statistics, look at the data. Don't trust a preacher, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. Go look at the stats, COVID's over. No, 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 I, the, the Kincaid's got COVID two months ago. I, okay, I didn't say it was like, I just statistically it's over, how about that? What was I saying? Oh, you need to get right with Jesus. If you're watching online or you're here this morning, everything is predicated on faith. They had to rebuild the last couple of feet of the stage. My faith right now is that the guy that put the two by four and the two by six and ran the screws and the studs and the cross members and the plywood, my faith is that he did a good job and I don't, I'm not gonna break my leg. They did a good job. <laughs> Do you have that much faith that Jesus loves you and he took your sin to the cross and is willing to remove it and give you eternal life? We all put our faith in something. Put your faith in Jesus because he's the only rock, he's the only hope, he's the only joy that we have for uncertain times that are coming in the future. I love that we complain about gas prices. Why don't you just celebrate that you have a car to put overpriced gas in? How about that? Can I get an amen? Thanksgiving. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Thank you that I have a heart to be broken. <laughs> Thanks, God. Thanks that I have a checking account to be empty. <laughs> Thanks, God. Thank you, Lord, that I have a, a church. Thank you, Lord, that I have brothers and sisters in faith that will surround me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that I have a Bible in English that I can read or Spanish or whatever your first love language is of your heart. Please, I'm, I'm begging you, read your Bible. Study your Bible, cover to cover. You've got to know what the Bible says. You can't be Bible illiterate. I won't allow it. That is your homework, is to fall in love with the Word of God. It is a bedrock that will transform your life. All right, let's pray. If you're here this morning and you're not right with the Lord, today is your day to get right with God. We're gonna pray, we're gonna ask God to forgive us of our sin, 
He's gonna wash us and cleanse us. He's gonna take us from being an orphan to a child of the Most High God. We're about to be adopted into the family of God. If you've never prayed that prayer, today is your day. If you prayed that prayer years ago and you've allowed sin back into your life, your heart to grow cold, you're distant from God, that's okay. God's not mad at you. He loves you and he wants to bring you right back into the family of God. Today is your day to pray and ask God to forgive you. Whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, this prayer is for you. And we're all gonna pray it together. You're not alone in this prayer. I would like to know who I'm praying for. If you're here this morning, or even if you're watching at home by yourself online, and you wanna pray that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, would you shoot your hand up real high and just say, preacher, pray for me. Today's my day to get right with God. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask God to forgive me of my sin. Is anybody here this morning? I see one hand over there. Is there anybody else? I see one a second hand over there. Is there anybody else? Come on, somebody. Good. What about you that are watching online? Two people raised their hand and said, I'm gonna pray that prayer and get right with God today. It just, I know I can't see you, but God does. He sees you right there in your living room, right there in your bedroom, tears running down your face. Raise your hand before God and let's all pray this prayer together. If you believe this in your heart, I can't pray it for you. I can lead you, but I can't pray it for you. It's your prayer. If you believe this in your heart, why don't we all pray this together? Say, dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I repent. I turn my back on sin. And I surrender my life to you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Wash me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Teach me to be a person of faith. A person of generosity. A person of community. In Jesus' name. If you agree, say amen. Can I hear a shout for joy for the two people that gave their heart to Jesus? Come on, somebody. So proud of you. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.